0: welcome to the silver screen guide podcast where we discuss films from every genre so sit back relax and enjoy the podcast welcome back listeners today we are discussing the third installment in our star trek retrospective series star trek 3 the search for spock this is your co-host corbin and i'm brad Last week we re- we reviewed Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. Now if you haven't heard that review, I encourage you to click pause right now. Go ahead and check out that review and of course we reviewed the first film in the series. So there's still time to go back and catch up on those first two reviews. We will be reviewing all 13 films, so you're going to want to stay up to date. You're not going to want to miss an episode. And a great way not to miss an episode is to go ahead and click the subscribe button right now. That way you'll be notified every time we release a brand new episode every single Monday as we go along this Star Trek journey. Now, Star Trek III was released June 1st, 1984, just roughly two years after the second film which doesn't surprise me that they got this film rolling so quickly because the second film was really popular. And surprisingly enough, this film is directed by none other than Leonard Nimoy. Did that surprise you to see that in the credits?
1: That did. I thought that was a pretty uh, great accomplishment of Leonard's part.
0: And I checked to see if he had done anything prior. He directed himself in a, in a one-act kind of tv play he did that himself where he played uh vincent van gogh wow actually one man that That would be interesting to watch that would be that was his only other credit uh so after he saw in theaters star trek 2 he got excited about his performance which is kind of funny we're not going to spoil the end of star trek 2 just yet. We'll be talking spoilers later, so don't worry, but just to know that Leonard Nimoy was actually really excited about the prospects of what could I do with my character, which is funny because the producers thought he was kind of done with the series. He kind of wanted to let it go. I mean, he'd been doing it for over 20 years. It's understandable, mm-hmm. but he said... He came to the producers and said, they said, do you want to be in the next film? And he said, I want to direct the next film. That's great.
1: That's
0: <laughs> <laughs> funny. Um, we do have a different writer this time. Harv Bennett came on to write. Uh, but we do have James Horner back with the score. And I think from what I could tell, this was probably one of the best scores so far of the three films. James Horner improved upon his score. Did you like the music in the I, movie? I
1: loved it. I definitely think this is the best so far.
0: Now, currently on IMDb, the film holds a 6.7, which is respectable, it's nothing to write home about, I would say, and especially considering the last film holds a 7.7, a whole point higher, which,
1: according to IMDb, that's significant. Yeah, that uh, that, that big of a gap is hard for me to justify. Now, as for critically, critics for the last film gave it
0: an, a high 89%, and this time critics Gave it an 80% approval rating, so not much of a drop there. But maybe I could see why, considering Khan. Con, how do you top Khan? Ricardo Montalban really stole the show last time, and they did
1: set a high bar. They did. You're right, and probably from a, uh, you know, from a script writing and a good cinematic performance. He's such a good villain that uh, that did that aspect of it did top this one. Now, as for the Metascore, the last film, remember, had
0: a 67 out of 100. This one received a 56 out of 100. Not as favorable, according to the Metascore, but nevertheless, it's still okay. Now, the film did get a slightly bigger budget. It got $16 million budget, and of course it did well at the box office. It, it raked in $76 million domestically and $87 million worldwide. That's fantastic on a 16 million dollar budget. Now, as for opening weekend, no surprise here, it was number 1. Now, the other top 5 films at the box office were of course Star Trek 3 was at number 1, and then Paramount's other feature film, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Wow. Now, that one was a lot darker. Than uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, which leads me to believe why it would not have as held as strong itself at the box office. Whereas this Star Trek three, I I could see this being more family friendly or more prone for young boys to be able to go see it than Indiana Jones. Mm -hmm. Because I remember when I was younger, we had to shut off. The Temple of Doom, because it's Mm -hmm. pretty wild. And listeners, if you want to go listen to Alan and I's review of Temple of Doom, go and check the archives. We have reviews for every single Indiana Jones film. Go ahead and check those out. Number three at the box office was The Natural.
1: Great movie, Robert Edford.
0: Break In? I've never heard of it. Never heard of that one. Hmm. Streets of Fire?
1: Not. Don't know that one either.
0: It's kind of funny to look back at the box office. Some movies don't stand the test of time. Uh, Also worthy of note, Sergio Leone, who of course did The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Mm -hmm. Well, his film came out starring Robert De Niro, Once Upon a Time in America. It did open at number six at the box office. It had a very weak opening from Warner Brothers. Now, as for how does this film rank in the series as far as the box office concerns, well, it comes in right below the second film. It's the sixth highest grossing of the thirteen. Now, it did have a higher opening weekend than the last movie, but it missed catching it by just about a million and a half dollars total at the domestic box office. Now, interesting to note, Nimoy is the first Star Trek cast member to direct a Star Trek film, which gives me hope considering the last two directors they brought on had never seen a Star Trek episode. Now, to... The last last, uh, director's credit, he did go back and rewatch the whole series. But nevertheless, he didn't know the characters Mm -hmm. like a Trek member would, actual cast member. So I really thought that was a good idea. But at the same time, it seems like a
1: risky idea. Just because you're an actor doesn't mean you're going to be a good director. Mm -hmm, That's true. Leonard Nimoy had intimate knowledge of the cast, especially the way he plays off of The character Bones, Dr. McCoy, I think that really, you see that come out. We won't spoil it at this point, but you really see a lot come out there between their interplay.
0: Now, this is kind of funny. Supposedly, I I do know this part for a fact. Now, as to his feelings, all I got was a snippet of the quote. Maybe this was the full quote. But Ronald Reagan did screen the movie for his friends. When he was taking a break from the White House, he was on some kind of vacation. He was watching it with his friends. He didn't think it was that good. I think he was more partial to Ricardo Montalban in
1: Star Trek II. One of his era actors, you know, Ricardo Montalban from Hollywood, from -hmm. from the Reagan era, probably. But that was right in the height of the 84 election, June of 84, you know, the elections were in November. So right at the pre-convention time, you know, he probably needed a little creative break, although he was, he had no challenge really to him in the 84 election. (laughs) No, he won it by a landslide.
0: There is a movie that Reagan did really love, and that was Rambo.
1: I could see that. He
0: gave a funny speech where he said, if the world's ever in trouble, I know who to call rambo (laughs) that's good uh now i did find it interesting nimoy wanted the film to be operatic in scope he wanted there to be big themes of life and death Mm. a large story on a large canvas and he wanted to make sure each character got a significant scene however small to make them feel grounded and real and thinking back on it after seeing the movie he really does take the time to appreciate each character, despite certain characters, uh, for instance, Ohura having a very small scene towards mm-hmm, the beginning and mm-hmm. end, she's nevertheless important. So each character kind of does get more of an important connection instead of relegating them to the background and having some, you know, role like
1: they would in the TV show. I think that's really important to true Trek Trekkie fans you get to see those classic characters and you get to hear their dialogue he really did bring out a lot of and I did not know that point until you did the research on this but looking back at the film it really does come out you see the length of time and the number of dialogue that each of those like Chekhov and Mr. Sulu all of those have There's little cameos where there's really more interaction with them than in any of the other films and I did not know that. that's a great point.
0: Now, one of the things that did take me by surprise is Bennett, who wrote the screenplay, of course, he actually wrote the screenplay backwards. Wow. He actually started with the end of the film, wrote the end, wrote the third act, then wrote the second act, then he wrote the first act, and then once he had the three-act structure down, he went back and kind of filled in some details to flesh it out. So the very first line he wrote is the last line of the
1: movie, Your Name is Jim. You know what I love about that? That is actually the Chinese art of war. Is that Sun Tzu or something Mm -hmm. like that? That's actually a a strategy in Sun Tzu as you picture your victory. Picture how you want to end and now let's work back and figure out how to get there. It actually works really good in speech writing, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or sermon writing, in my case. <laughs> that is funny. I, Whenever I do approach a story, I do know
0: how I want it to. And I don't necessarily know the middle, how we're going to get there, but
1: I did really like that aspect of it. I would be curious how much what we just talked about previously with the, each of the characters having so much more screen time, if Nimoy, being the director, how much, if he had any at all influence with Bennett on that? Because, you know, the writer wrote those parts for them. You know, Nimoy brings them to life as the director. So I wonder if there was any collaboration to share that idea of giving more time to all these classic, iconic characters.
0: From what I understand, Nimoy was very involved every step of the way even including visual effects
1: yeah i could see that
0: and that's why the visual effects are so well done in this movie is because he approached industrial light and magic early on in the process Mm -hmm. and he did work closely with the writer to collaborate on creating these characters and especially since this movie is central to spock Mm -hmm. so i i really think we've kind of had the best coming together of directors and writers so far considering it's been kind of a mess as we've discussed (laughs) in previous installments the other thing that i really did appreciate about bennett is bennett knew that not everybody coming to this movie would have seen the wrath of khan this is a direct sequel to the wrath of khan and this is something i've always complained about the last two times is the writers don't care if the audience has uh never seen a star trek before Mm -hmm. you you know They've made it difficult, but Bennett knew he needed to find a way to introduce audiences to the events of the previous film Mm. without them seeing it. And I do think it's actually really cool and impactful. We're not talking about the film just yet, but I do think it's cool and impactful how the picture, it does start with the end of the movie and the the picture grows and turns to color. And I appreciate that. That's enough exposition to get me jump-started into the film. Because it has right. been two years, nevertheless. Right. And I'm assuming home video is not really a thing. You
1: can go rent easily in 84, is it? Yeah, there was home video stores, but it wasn't. It, it, they didn't come out as fast as they do today. I mean, you could get it, but it was not nearly as quick and readily ex- as acceptable and easy to get
0: and originally the villains were actually going to be romulans Mm, they weren't going to be klingons but nimoy wanted the klingons because they're much more theatrical yeah and he really wanted these big theatrical villains and they definitely are um especially because they bring in christopher lloyd who at the time would have also been uh working on the back to the future films and he he's he's a really funny character actor Alright listeners, we are about to talk about spoilers for the film, so if you have not seen the search for Spock and you don't want the film ruined for you, then I encourage you to go ahead and click pause. Go ahead and watch the film. It is on Prime Video. If you're a Prime Video subscriber, then that is readily available for you to watch it right now. And then once you've watched it, come back and click play and we will be ready to talk about the film. Picking up during the final events of Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, Spock, reprised by Leonard Nimoy, has sacrificed himself for the greater good, to prevent Khan from destroying the crew of the Enterprise. His body is jettisoned to the surface of the new planet, Genesis. Back at the Earth space dock, Kirk, reprised by William Shatner, is startled to hear the voice of Spock emanating from bones, reprised by DeForest Kelly and the news that the Enterprise is to be decommissioned in favor of the new model, the Excelsior. Later, Kirk is visited by Spock's father, Sarek, reprised from the TV show by Mark Leonard. He questions why Kirk didn't bring Spock's body back to the planet Vulcan. See, right before Spock's death, he mind-melded with Bones because Kirk wasn't around. By mind-melding, he passed his katra, aka soul, and mind to Bones' body. According to a Vulcan ritual... The Vulcan may be reunited with his Katra only on their homeworld, on top of Mount Solea, which is Greek for... Uh, An elevated platform. That's cool, I didn't know that was Greek. Mm -hmm. Kirk must now take bones and retrieve Spock's body and bring both back to Vulcan, despite being commanded by Starfleet not to do so. Meanwhile, Kirk's son David, reprised by Merrick Buttrick, and Lieutenant Savick, now recast as Robin Curtis... Kirstie Alley is no longer playing the role, are scanning the Genesis planet from orbit when all of a sudden they receive a life reading. They beam down to the planet only to find Spock's coffin is empty. They're not the only ones interested in the planet Genesis. Klingon Commander Krug, played by Christopher Lloyd, leads his crew to the planet to claim it as their new world to rule over. At the same time, Kirk, Bones... Scotty, reprised by James Doohan, Chekhov, reprised by Walter Koenig, and Sulu, reprised by George Takai, also beam to the planet where they save Savik, the rapidly aging Spock, who they found as a boy and is now a teenager, but they couldn't save David in time since he is killed by one of Krug's men. As Kirk and Krug battle it out, little does Krug know that by having his men beam aboard the Enterprise, he has sent them to their doom, since Kirk has set the Enterprise to self-destruct. Kirk kicks Krug off a ledge into the lava pits as the planet Genesis falls apart due to it being unstable. The crew beams aboard Krug's ship, which they take to the planet Vulcan. Once at Mount Saleya, they successfully perform the Vulcan ritual, thereby transferring Spock's katra back to his body. As Spock is leaving the ceremony, he turns to Kirk and with a remembering look states, Your name is Jim. As credits roll. So one of the good things that I, I noticed right off the bat about this film is how much the visual effects have improved, especially from the first film, which was just five years earlier. It's really not that long, but I mean, can't you tell these visual effects are a step up? Yeah,
1: it's a big step up. A lot happened in just five years there.
0: And I will say I'm really surprised it didn't get an Oscar nomination, at least for best visual effects. It's surprising. And I will say the the movie's 35 years old, but I would say the space scenes at least do hold up, and the practical effects, like when the planet is blowing up, it. I mean, it, some of it does look like a set, but at the same time, some of it does really feel like this planet is falling apart. Especially right. for 84, I'm right. I'm fairly impressed with it. The only thing that looks incredibly fake is the Klingon dog, which looks like a puppet. <laughs>
1: that Klingon dog was really bad. <laughs>
0: it's an immobile puppet that moves its head back and forth. It's almost it an Im- so robotic, the way it moved. <laughs> it really is. It's almost a little embarrassing. I think they should have cut it, almost, yeah. just to kind of give the film a little bit more, uh, just to take it a little more seriously. I don't think anybody believed that was a it, it, real dog. It
1: just had that sort of uh, campy feel when he you know, when the dog dies and he's like, He killed my dog type of feel, you know, one of those great lines, He killed my dog.
0: It was pretty funny. It seems like something they could have done in the T V show. I guess they spend all of their budget on the spaceships <laughs> yeah. flying around. Which do look pretty good. I'm fairly impressed with that. Now, the other thing is we were kind of talking about during the movie, kind of about the maybe some religious themes in this movie. And that's one thing I do appreciate about Star Trek is so far they've been trying to go for some deeper themes instead of blow up that spaceship. Mm-hmm. And from what I understand and what I've seen from the TV episode, they do try and talk about some some bigger themes, but they always keep away from religion. That's something we talked about in my philosophy and science fiction course was for some reason, Gene Roddenberry kind of had an aversion to uh, getting too close to talking about God. But apparently Bennett and Nimoy don't because there's actually a lot of Christ figures and happenings mm-hmm. in this. And uh, you, I think you saw it quicker than I did. I, was, I thought it, well, they were trying to go for more of a new age uh, Buddhist reincarnation thing. But upon second thought, I'm, I'm not sure that's quite it.
1: Yeah, I really think it had to do with the eternality of the soul and being able to have some form of life after death, if you will. really strong uh, line of thinking between good versus evil. Very, very religious undertones. Again, I don't know if they were put there on purpose, but they certainly didn't shy away from it.
0: I feel like some of them had to have been allusions to Christ, at least. It's it's almost too straightforward not to be. And when I was doing research, here's a few that I came up with. And then, of course, watching the film, I definitely saw it. So, of course, Spock sacrifices himself for his friends right. and humanity at large. That's right. definitely a Christ motif there. Right. And this sacrifice leads to, this one literally leads to a new world. But through Christ's sacrifice, it was more of a kind of a new spiritual mm-hmm. uh, type world, a new inner world. Now, David and Savick find Spock's tomb empty and his burial cloth Mm -hmm. lying there. Very Mm -hmm. reminiscent Mm -hmm. of Christ's
1: empty tomb. In the empty tomb. That's very true.
0: And of course, the soul living on after death is a Christian belief. Now, Spock is resurrected. True. Just as Jesus was. So I think those are really strong cases.
1: And there's this idea, to me, I was catching when I thought back about it. This idea, this planet, this Genesis uh, planet is like a garden. Everything's like a garden. There's this Garden of Eden type of, uh, of motif, and you know it was being in that, in that garden where he and on that planet that he's brought back to life, because that's paradise and that's where life began, and so there's a, just a lot of parallels.
0: Yeah, and there is a lot of parallels, and of course Genesis is the first book of the Bible, and they call the planet genesis you're like you're exactly right it is a very eden type planet the klingons could be considered the serpent the kind of fallen mm-hmm. angels wanting to corrupt mm. uh the new planet the uh, god's creation and uh we do have david and Savik, maybe they're adam and eve type figures you know uh, yeah, coming right. a, a man and a woman a coming a to woman. Yeah. this new planet and we also do see that the planet is uh, kind of destroyed, it's kind of consumed by fire, mm-hmm. and that's that's kind of necessary. We could maybe see that either as kind of a, a rebirth type situation or a restorative. Maybe a, a new planet has come out of it, or it could be kind of this final judgment where Krug is cast, literally cast into the lake of fire. Good. Just that's a good point. Yeah, just as in revelation when
1: the end of the book of revelation yeah when satan mm -hmm. is bound and cast into the lake of fire it's a very good parallel
0: yes and then of course after they leave that they ascend to mount Mm soleia and spock is kind of rejuvenated so there's a it's a really actually strong kind of christ
1: film in a way it really it really is so and that's that's one of the would have loved to have asked leonard nimoy some of these questions Oh, I I What, what was he? What was he thinking? And what did him and Bennett talk about? And and ask Bennett those questions too. I mean, that, those are pretty powerful parallels that are hard to ignore.
0: They really are. And I would. I don't know Nimoy or Bennett's uh, own beliefs, uh, their own faith beliefs. That's something. That may, maybe you could look up yeah, and look into, but you don't make a movie with this many parallels mm-hmm. about Christianity and not have a knowledge of it, right. or at least a respect for it, exactly to uh, incorporate those. And like I said, there there are other themes. There is a lot of sacrifice in this movie. David, his his son, uh, the son, and the father, self
1: giving sacrifice. Yes, right.
0: the son sacrifices himself to save Savak and Spock kirk sacrifices personally kind of his career and risks being thrown in jail for everything the enterprise itself is sacrificed it's true and yeah. that's kind of a shocking moment it i was is, shocked. that's
1: a really shocking moment you can't picture star trek without the enterprise
0: no you can't and i'm i'm wondering yeah. where's the enterprise going it's to be for the rest gonna, of the film gonna be exciting so there, those, Nimoy did capture that very well. There is kind of those epic themes of life and death mm-hmm. and sacrifice. So I guess as far as disappointing elements to the movie, I do like the use of the Klingon villains. But Christopher Lloyd's crew character is weak developmentally. And the entire reason he knows about the Genesis planet and how that lady at the very beginning, Valkyris, who he blows up, how she purchases the plans, that just all kind of seems to be happenstance. They just needed mm-hmm. a bad guy yeah. to be thrown in there really quickly. I wish we would have had a bit more explanation or it would have been cool if there was kind of a con figure, except he's a Klingon one from the mm-hmm. TV series they could have brought back. I just felt like their reasoning and how this all came about should have been explained a bit better and not just thrown in there.
1: Yeah, I agree. It was just a weak development. It was very weak there.
0: Now, the one element that maybe we could say is bad, I really don't think there's much bad about this movie, but you brought this up while we were watching the film, and that's Bach's father's initial performance. Yeah. What did you have to yeah, say that, about that,
1: that? Really, that? really bothered me because ever, having watched this series and knowing it so well, if there's anything that is absolutely germane or for a Vulcan is the lack of emotion. They're just totally logical lack of emotion. And his father, who was there in the original series and everything, when he's talking about his son, when he confronts Captain Kirk believing he has his uh, left his mind meld with Kirk, he's rather emotional. You can see it in his eyes, you can hear it the tremble in his voice, and that just doesn't fit his character. No. I'm not sure what the writer was thinking there. It... Or even what Leonard Nimoy was thinking there.
0: Yeah, that does call into question either... Nimoy didn't give him very good direction or he ignored it and thought I know better than you how to play this character I'm not saying that's the case but nevertheless the it, it was not logical at all he was very impassioned and he was saying why didn't you do this why wouldn't you have brought him back and that that in its of itself seems a little problematic because this whole like passion for mm-hmm. life and maybe almost a Disregard for Spock's sacrifice seems odd coming from a Vulcan where mm-hmm. Spock was incredibly logical about it, but mm-hmm. his father didn't seem to be that way. Yeah, I agree. That element kind of throws you out of it, takes you out of the the Vulcan mindset. Right. Um, but I did like the mystery of Bones and kind of Spock speaking through him. And I did remember watching when we were watching The Wrath of Khan Um, Spock did the mind melt and he said, remember, and I thought that's an, that's an interesting mystery. What does that have to do with anything? Mm -hmm. And we don't get the answer until this movie. And thankfully they did go back. And I mean, you might consider it cheating a little because somehow Kirk has footage. They call it like a life cam or something where he can perfectly watch all of these scenes take place from the previous movie, but at least it's a good way to show people who hadn't seen the second movie you know that's something i've always complained about with these past two is Mm -hmm. i didn't watch the original tv series i have a basic understanding of these characters but nevertheless you come into this movie and it just picks up you know 10 years later i don't know these
1: characters what's going on there's such a in the original series there is such an antagonism between bones and spock it just it's it's like a love-hate relationship and they're just so antagonistic or you know Spock's logic it just always rubs bones the wrong way in the original series and so that he would choose to give that to Bones and then we would that would later bring out you would see elements in Bones' personality where, you know, Spock speaking through him and things that, that just were incongruent. And it was powerful, really. It's as if this one who had always been so antagonistic toward him now had a, a connection, a special connection to him. And that the two of them would never be the same. You know, they would they would be more specially connected now and forever.
0: I really did like that element, especially at the end when they're, they're about to go through with the ritual to transfer his, you know, his spirit back into his body and they're saying to bones you might not make it through this. You, this could yeah. kill you. You yeah. could die. And he still elects to he still elects to make that choice. I'll go through with it. But I'm glad you brought up their relationship because
1: not watching the original TV series, I didn't really know that. You'd have to watch it a lot. I mean, it's something that comes out for the real the real Trek fans notice it because they've watched it a lot. They did throw in
0: kind of a funny line which you you thought was funnier than I did. I didn't really understand it, but he, Bones was talking about how he won every argument, and you kind of laughed and said, oh, sure, (laughs) he did, but I thought, what does that mean? It was kind (laughs) of funny, but now I can understand better why, because I guess they did have a really antagonistic relationship, Mm -hmm. but nevertheless, we're still friends. Right. Well, Brad, what is your rating and recommendation for Star Trek Three: The Search? for Spock.
1: Well, I have to give this one an 8 with a high recommend. I love this film. Uh, to date, it's my favorite one. I really loved Wrath of Khan, but this is higher. Star Trek 3: The Search for Spock is the best film
0: in the franchise so far. The effects are great, the story creates substantial stakes which I thought the first movie was severely lacking and the second movie had them, but I think these are better, and the characters have satisfying arcs. I'm impressed with Nimoy's directing abilities and Bennett's screenplay. I do hope he comes back for number four. The rest of the cast does a great job, and I really liked Horner's score, and the cinematography as well. Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock receives seven stars out of ten with a solid recommend. Well, listeners, next week, we won't be coming back with the fourth installment because even podcasters movie reviewers need a week off so we will be having a week off, but nevertheless, uh, I'll put out a, a written article that I've been working on. I've actually never published my Bond guide. Last year we went through and we watched. Oh wow! We watched all 25 James Bond films, and I wrote yes. up a, a complete guide for you, listeners. So this is a perfect time. Perfect
1: time to re- that. That needs to be released.
0: This will be a perfect time to tide you over until we come back the week after that with Star Trek IV: The Voyage Home, which is considered better than this movie so that makes me glad to hear maybe they just keep getting better and better i sure hope so (laughs) i really do so in the meantime you will have that bond guide to delve into i believe a lot of the films are streaming right now so that'll give you time to watch those films compare what i have listed my notes and thoughts, all of my rankings. That'll be there for you. And of course, you should uh, catch up on the series. Like I said, if you've missed the first two installments, go ahead and catch up on those first two installments. So be you'll be ready for the fourth installment. Uh, we also have our M. Night Shyamalan retrospective series. We have the Men in Black films. The new Men in Black International just came out. We have the trilogy reviews up right now. Rambo is coming back to theaters. That's exciting. That's exciting. We That was our very first retrospective. Retrospective series, so go ahead and make sure to catch up and listen to all of those reviews as well. Check the archives; we have films of every genre that we've reviewed. If you like horror, fantasy, mystery, we have reviews for all of them. Plenty of material to keep you uh, tied it over till we do come back to uh, keep working on this retrospective series. Also, make sure to subscribe through Facebook and Twitter or go to our website and subscribe through email. That is a great way to keep up to date and you'll be the first one to know once we come back with our review of Star Trek 4. Now, also, we do really appreciate it if you leave us a five-star review on iTunes. That's not for our egos. That is for the iTunes rankings that does... Uh, help promote us over there so other people can find this podcast more easily we love talking about films and we love talking about them with you so make sure to share this with your friends and family we really do appreciate your listenership and of course if all of that still isn't enough for you then head on over to our patreon page and for the price of a starbucks cup of coffee you drink the coffee it's good but then it's gone this material is a great bonus material it's yours to keep if you stop subscribing, then that material won't be gone. You can still enjoy those podcasts, those commentaries, our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers. We have tons of bonus content over there. If you want to do a Q&A with us even, we've got it all right over there. Extra exclusive bonus content. It helps keep the lights on. It's not free to do the podcast, but we will always keep the Monday show free for you to listen to, but it does help pay for the bandwidth. We put it back into making the website look even better. We just want to have it be a great experience for you, listeners, and that's all done by your support. So we want to give you a big thanks, and we're both looking forward to coming back in two weeks with Star Trek 4 The Voyage Home.